Welcome to the Apartment Operators Podcast, where you can learn from experienced operators what it really means to be an apartment operator. No fluff, no sugarcoating, just the raw, unfiltered truth of the ups and downs of operating multifamily communities. I appreciate that, Joseph. Uh, Hopefully I can add some value to some of your listeners here. I have no doubt you can. So uh, let's take a few minutes, just like we do at the beginning of every episode. Uh, tell our audience a little bit about who you are, what you've been doing, how your uh, portfolio looks like today, and, and then we'll take it from there. Yeah. So uh, like you did, Ben Suttles, uh, I'm a co-owner of a company called Disrupt Equity. Uh, me and another gentleman named Ferris Musa own that. It's, uh, we're based out of Houston. Uh, we were both born and raised here. We've lived elsewhere, you know, came from uh, the IT industry probably about five, six years ago, got into commercial real estate, uh, started focusing on multifamily in 14, bought first deal in 2015. And uh, we've just been off to the races ever since. Um, you know, we have roughly about 1,500 units, you know, across nine properties, uh, both in Texas and in Georgia. Those are our main kind of um, primary markets that we focus on. We've got a lot of deal flow coming out of there. There's a lot of good reasons why we focus on those uh, those markets, and uh, you know we look to kind of increase our portfolio from there. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, uh, love to kind of you know, add some value to folks and answer any questions that you have. Awesome. Well, uh, let's talk a little bit more about your world, right? What do you do? So you have two main markets. Uh, what kind of asset classes do you guys usually buy? So, yeah, I mean, it's going to be mainly the workforce housing. And, and I think that that kind of gets a bad rap when people don't understand that actual terminology. It's not, doesn't mean section A, doesn't mean tax credit, doesn't mean any of that stuff, right? It just means affordable. So we tend to focus on stuff with across our whole entire portfolio to give you some perspective. Our average rents are eight to $900 across the whole entire portfolio. So, you know, it's mainly going to be class C, class B stuff in class C and class B areas. I mean, everybody loves those diamond in the rough, you know, properties where you can find a class C or B in an A area. Uh, most of the time people are sitting on those and even those if they unicorns. do, come, yeah, even if they do come up for sale, they're way too expensive anyway, right? Because the seller knows what, what they're sitting on. So, um, you know, obviously you have to be aware of the sub market too, when you go and buy, but, uh, we tend to, we tend to gravitate to those types of deals because that's where we see, you know, where we can create some value. A lot of those properties are either tired. They just haven't been updated in years or, uh, there's just a lot of deferred maintenance or they're being mismanaged. A lot of them are mom and pop operators, you know, where maybe somebody has been sitting on it for five, 10, 15 years. I mean, we bought a property where, we bought it off the actual original developer who had had oh, wow. it for 35 years and willed it to his children. And finally the children were tired of it and we bought it from them and, and actually got it at a pretty good price point too. But so we look to target those types of deals where we can increase the value. We're not really in the market to buy turnkey properties or yield plays. We just, that's not really our focus. We're looking to where can we drive that value by infusing capital into the property and, and managing it a little bit more tightly. Gotcha. So yeah. one of the basic questions we, we always ask is self-manage or a third party? That's a good question. I was actually having a conversation with another gentleman a couple of days ago about this. So currently we do third party. It's something that we might bring in house and I, I use that real loosely. Uh, I would probably buy into a property management company, you know, just because I just feel like it might be a brain damage for us to, to potentially have to start one from scratch. And that's not no offense to anybody that's gone down that path. I know that there's a lot of successful operators that have started it from the ground up. Uh, I tend to say, Hey, you know, let's focus on our strengths, which is buying deals. And so from our perspective, we'd much rather buy into maybe a controlling piece of a, of a good operator, a good property management company, and then, then they operate our properties. But uh, currently we have third party. We have uh, two main ones. I also work with a third one on one property in, a, in kind of a tertiary market. So, you know, but we tend to focus on how can we have a good asset management layer over the property management? So we, we really... When we're working on our business, we're trying to streamline and make more efficient, make more profitable. That asset management piece, 
you know, in between the property, the property management, you got asset management, then you've got obviously investors and LPs and GPs and stuff like that. So we tend to want to focus on how can we be better asset managers. And once again, from our perspective, if we can focus on that versus the property management, I feel like we can, we can increase, you know, the profitability of the deal by, you know, having the flexibility to um, fire or get rid of the third party if we need to. But uh, something that me and Ferris are aware of that to take it to the next level, we might have to bring that in house. And so we're, that'll probably be a 2020 or 2021 goal of ours to, to identify some good property management companies to buy into. So let's put aside for a second the, this, the decision to create or buy into uh, I want to focus on the, the, the notion of bringing it in-house. Mm-hmm. What drives that conversation between you and your partner right now? What are the reasons that you just, you just said it yourself, I, if I want to take it to the next level, I got to bring it in-house. What made you get to that uh, conclusion? It's not necessarily us. And once again, this is not, this is not anything against third-party property management companies. They, they all have their deficiencies, let's put it that way. And ultimately they don't have a whole lot of skin in the game. So you have to watch them very, very closely. You know, so that's, that's, that's probably driving it the most. We also have a lot of conversations with think private equity, think family offices, those types of folks, those types of firms. And a lot of what they're looking for is, is a vertically integrated commercial real estate company. Mm-hmm. So in their mind, it's one neck to choke. And we get that, you know, we came from the IT world. It's all about efficiency, productivity, automating, you know, being more efficient across the board. And so we understand that having that third party is, can be perceived as being inefficient. But at the end of the day, like we, we're trying to balance flexibility as well as growth and, and trying to focus on our strengths. And so that's why we haven't brought it in-house. Mm-hmm. But, you know, to, you know, to kind of drive it home, I, I think ultimately it's two pronged. It's, it's to ultimately, we feel like we might be able to do a little bit better job if, if we had a controlling piece of a property management company, because we're going to get the lion's share of the attention. And then also just from a marketing and building our brand standpoint, we can go back and say, Hey, we're also vertically that goes, that goes into other business too, right? You look at the P&L, you have a lot of expense items that, you know, just I'll use a crazy example, say plumbing, right? If you're, if you have enough of a portfolio in say one market, I know you, you have some stuff in Lubbock, you know, mm-hmm. if you, if you have enough of a portfolio in one market, you just buy into a plumbing company and then guess what? You know, that, that becomes revenue, right? No, yeah. I'm not saying, I mean, you still have to be, there still has to be like kind of a hands-off approach to it. Right. But, you can, you can start looking at the different line items and the expenses and say, what could I potentially buy into to make the overall investment more profitable, more efficient? And so I think the first step for us is buying into that property management piece. And then we'll start taking out those different layers to get to that vertically integrated um, you know, firm that we envision over the next five years. That makes total sense. Yep. So let's talk about the companies that you work with right now, the third party. How did you find them? What are you looking for in a third-party property management? How do you know how to evaluate them, right? Because a lot of the time, people that buy their first property or even the, the first property in a new market, right? Because you are in two different markets. How do you come out to a market you don't have a, a, any experience in or any assets in and kind of evaluate the local talent for that matter? Yeah, I would say rely heavily on referrals. Because, you know, if you just start, like, say you go into, I don't know, South Carolina, right? You don't know anything about South Carolina. You don't know anybody that operates in South Carolina. You just start Googling property management companies. It's really like a shot in the dark. So we went into Atlanta, but the, and this was, you know, we, we thought about this strategically, you know, why we went into Atlanta. One of the reasons was one of, uh, one of our third kind of silent partner on all, a lot of these deals is a gentleman named Mark Kinney. And he was already there. He was being, he was having some success in Atlanta. And I think from our standpoint, he he also had a Rolodex of people that we could leverage getting into Atlanta at the same time. And one of them was a property management company out there. 
And so we still did our due diligence. We still interviewed like, I think maybe three or four and we felt most comfortable with the one that, that he had. And we're now starting to get some economies of scale too. So we're able to get fees down. We're able to, for example, bid out our landscaping across our whole entire portfolio through them, you know, kind of really leverage that, that, uh, that relationship. But I would say first and foremost, try to get referrals from people that you trust, not just, you'll see a lot of these people, you probably see them on Facebook. Oh, I need a referral from this. And you got that random people. And I've even chimed in. I'm like, take it for what it's worth, right? My two cents is, is hit this person up, but these people don't even know me, right? So you need to, you know, take referrals from people that you trust, know, and like, and then go out and still do your due diligence, you know? Um, and I'd also say shop their properties. I'd say, give me a list of the five properties, some just randomly five, they'll probably pick the best five, right? They usually do, but go out and secret shop those, you know, is the property clean? Is the staff well kept and, you know, in, in a uniform and, and do they, are they friendly? Are they, are, do they do the leasing process correctly? I mean, all these things are important to kind of verify for yourself and then have a checklist of, of things that are important to you that you want to, you know, say, okay, if they hit, eight out of these 10 boxes, they're, they're at least in the money. So, so go through that process too and, and validate those because otherwise you're just going in cold and it really is. They, the property management company can make or break your deal within months. Yeah. So it's important to really pick those people very, very uh, well. Yeah. So what are those boxes for you, right? What are you asking? What are you looking at, right? Secret shopping, the property is a really good uh, uh, advice for our listeners. Um, I'd say don't even ask the property management company if they have a website, go figure yeah. out on their website you what can. they manage yeah. and just show up unannounced. Uh, um, I, I usually like to do that. Uh, what are you, for example, what are the boxes for you? What are you asking? What are you expecting to hear back? Are, is there a certain size that you like? Because we hear a lot of the, the Goldilocks kind of uh, idea of not too small, not too big, somewhere in the middle. Uh, What's your preference in, in a property management company? So I do believe in that Goldilocks zone because if you're, if they're too big and you've only got one or two properties with them, guess what? You're not going to get a lot of attention on that. Even, even if there's a problem, you're still not going to get the attention that you need. So I, you know, we tend to kind of gravitate to people that are probably five to 15,000 units, you know, because at least at five, they've got their processes. They've got the access to software. They've got the kind of the bench hopefully at that point to uh, be able to manage, you know, our portfolio um, and then go up to 15, you know, beyond that, you start kind of getting into some folks where you might still, where you might become a number. So that's probably first and foremost, how big are they? The other thing is to where are they located at, you know, and, and how are they, how do they disperse among? Cause I, you know, we've had property management companies that are very centralized then we've had ones that are spread out, right? Where they have regionals in different areas. Maybe they have a VP over here, VP over there. They all will kind of spin it like this is the best way to do it. And I think that you have to determine on your own, do I want them to have an office in the area or am I good with somebody driving in on a weekly basis, right? So that's the other thing. Where are they located at and how do they, how do the regionals work? You know, the regionals being the people over the onsite managers, mm -hmm. you know, how frequently do they visit the properties, right? You know, um, I also look for referrals from them, right? Once again, you could, they'll probably give you the best guys and gals, but you still want to call. And, and, and usually those people are going to like, they're going to give you some of the dirty laundry too, right? You know, but so you got to look into that as well. So you've got size, you've got where they're located at. Um, you know, the other thing too is, is, is what kind of asset classes you have property management companies that do different things. You've got some that will that are all right managing smaller properties, some that won't touch anything less than a hundred. If they did, they still have a minimum, which might kill your deal. Uh, some that that like A and B deals, and they will not touch a class C deal. Some that might touch a class C deal, but th they don't want heavy value add deals. And we've come across some deals where not a hundred percent boarded up, but maybe had twenty or thirty down units. Great play for us where we can infuse some capital, bring those down units on and, and have a good business plan. But some people don't want to mess with that because it's a whole different, it's a whole type, a different type of uh, asset that they have to manage. There's a lot of rehab, there's a lot of contractors and stuff like that. 
So make sure that they're aligned with your business plan too, because you're not going to get a class A person in a class C that's just not going to be successful. Yeah, I, I want to reiterate that because uh, we ask a lot of the same questions, all of our guests, and, and that advice is just pure gold because it's been repeated over and over. If you're a listener, you've heard that multiple times from most of our operators. Uh, find the property management that manages the same asset class as the one you're buying. Uh, it, if you'll take a C-class property management to run your A-class, it's going to become a C-class real fast. And uh, unfortunately, it doesn't work the other way. If you'll take an A-class company to a C-class, it's not going to be an A-class and they're just going to bleed money because they're going to spend like it's an A-class uh, and they won't be able to handle and collect and, and so on. So uh, that's just a gold advice that we keep hearing over and over. So I just wanted to reiterate that. No, absolutely. And I wish it was that way, right? You could take a gray star and know they're going to make your class C into, into an A-class property. The one other thing that I like too, that I've seen with some property management companies is the ones that are willing to go do property tours, willing to put budgets together, really willing to, to, to earn the work versus, you know, yeah, I'm only going to talk to you after you have something under contract, right? The other thing that I like to see too is honesty. So you'll have people that will say every single deal that you bring across their desk. It's like, oh, this is great. We can make a ton of money. Their pro forma budgets look like pure gold. I like the folks that are honest. And we've had a lot of those where they're saying, don't go chase after that, Ben. We're not even gonna manage it if you get it. And those are the types of folks that you're like, okay, they're straight shooters. That's what I need. I need somebody that's gonna keep me out of trouble because you know, we're based out of Houston. I it's just not feasible to get to every single property that we're looking at right away. Now, don't get me wrong. If I'm in best and final or I'm going to sign a contract, we're going to go see it, right? But if we're at the very beginning parts of the stage where we're just analyzing the deal to maybe potentially make an offer, I'm relying heavily on my knowledge of the area as well as the, the knowledge of my property management company. And they've gotten us, they've, they've kept us out of trouble. So you have to, I like those people that are candid and say, hey, don't go after that deal. Or they'll be candid about the area yeah, the area is all right, but I don't see that transitioning for another 10 or 20 years. So yeah. now you know what you're, you know, you're never going to be in the path of progress. So you, you know, on the back end, then it's going to be, you're, you're going to be, you know, trying to sell that story where people are going to be like, man, the area is all right. So I like the, I like when people are candid and honest with me as well as a property management. Yeah, and that's just another point when somebody is kind of weighing the options between self-management and third party. Third party brings a lot of experience most of the time. And usually, unless you bring a third party with you from out of town into a new market, if they're present already in the market, they have a lot of knowledge and a yes. lot of history. And uh, if you add up between usually the owners of the property management and the regional supervisors and the on-site managers, they have decades, if not centuries of experience in that market, yep. knowing all the properties and all the history and all the pitfalls. It's kind of like, yeah, don't go over there because as soon as you cross that highway, it's all going to uh, be a rough area or don't go to that property. They always have, they always have plumbing issues or, mm -hmm. or all these kind of pieces of information and it's like like you said Ben, it can really save you uh, uh from, from making a terrible mistake or just a, at least a very big financial mistake so uh, um so that, and, that's a really good point and one other thing to kind of reiterate too you know they'll give you advice on the area but like you said some of these people have been around for decades uh, you know, we, we have property management, especially the owners and the regionals, the VPs, the kind of the people that have been around. Oh, yeah, we managed that back in 96. So they literally know the property because they've managed it before, right? Yep. And they'll say, hey, the plumbing on that deal is, you know, you're always going to have a plumbing problem. The plumbing always leaks. So I love to see that. And then on top of that, you know, they'll have specific expense knowledge of certain areas. I'll give you an example. So Atlanta is made up of a lot of different counties. You know, Atlanta MSA, I think is like 29 counties. You know, we usually, I think we play in about seven of them. Right. So ultimately, you know, each county is different in terms of how they operate. And DeKalb County is, is one of them that's just notorious for, you know, just being very onerous in terms of fees and citations and 
deposits and, and just being just a, a big pain to work with. And we're not going to know that, right, going into a new market. And so they kind of explain like, hey, this is what you should expect from DeKalb County in terms of operating a property. And they were spot on. I'm glad that we knew that information because, you know, you kind of, you, you wouldn't have known that and then you would have been caught, you know, not be prepared for some of the stuff that they try to pull on you. And so uh, you have to, you have to have that, uh, that, that person or that, that, that firm and your you know, on your side to kind of steer you out of trouble with these, uh, with some of these properties in some of these areas. Yeah, that, that's a really good segment. I'd like to hear more about how did you decide to go into a new market, which is not your backyard? And how is it different to operate between your backyard and a different state kind of market? It's definitely, it takes some getting used to. I think that's where a lot of people have a lot of hesitation. So you have to, you have to be prepared that it's, you're going to manage it differently, even asset management differently, because, you know, you're going to have to obviously, you're going to have to get on a plane versus just driving over there. That's the first and foremost. So there's going to be a little bit more expenses. So you have to be very, very diligent in terms of, you know, how much is it going to cost to actually lay eyes on this as frequently as I need to the first at least six to 12 months while you're kind of going through your value add, you're doing your rehab, you're stabilizing the property. So you have to take that into consideration. But we ultimately, Texas is a very hot market. It will continue to be. Uh, I'm very bullish on Texas. But the one thing that a lot of people probably realize that know Texas is that it's also very, very, uh, there's just a lot of syndicators here. And they're all going after the same class B and class C stuff. Um, and so it, it's very competitive. And so we were, Obviously, me and Ferris are from Houston, but we had we we couldn't find a deal here. We still can't. We still don't to this day have a have a deal in Houston, which is pretty disappointing because I'd love to have one right down the road. But but ultimately, we started about two and a half three years ago. We started researching other markets that were similar to Texas but weren't Texas, and uh, we came across Atlanta. And we knew, obviously, we knew our third partner had some deals out there too, but I really didn't pay attention to it until I started kind of running the numbers, looking at the statistics, looking at the reports. And Atlanta just kept hitting all of those boxes. And so, you know, that was first and foremost is, is it going to be what we want it to be in terms of a submarket that we want to invest in? And everybody knows the, the, the obligatory stuff, you know, population, job growth, you know, tax friendly, business friendly, Georgia has all of that stuff. The other reason that we picked Georgia too is Atlanta Hartsfield is the biggest airport in the country. In fact, I think it's actually the biggest in the world. And so you've got a lot of flights in and out. So from, from Houston, I can take a 6 a.m. flight. I'm in Atlanta by 8.30. I can go see our whole entire portfolio that day and I can fly back that night. So it's not even, in fact, it's probably easier to get to Atlanta sometimes than some of our portfolio here in Texas, just because it's just a direct flight. So the other thing that I would also tell people is not to say that you can't find deals in some of these smaller markets, but just take that into consideration. If it takes you, if it takes you a better part of a day just to get there, then you're there for a whole day and then you get to take you a whole nother day to get back at, you know, or you're having to hop planes or you're having to drive there and it takes six hours, just be careful. You know, so our, our thesis is, is it if it's within three to four hour driving period or within a two to three hour flight, we're gonna we're we're gonna look at it. And preferably direct flights, not something that has a connector somewhere else where I'm gonna have to hop off a plane and get, go somewhere else. That's the that's the reason why we liked Atlanta as well, because it's just logistically it's easy to get to. So that was another reason, that was another box that that Atlanta checked off for us. So but there's other markets that we're looking into as well, and they all have to hit uh, those same things, right? So, but be prepared that it, it's going to take a little bit more hands-on, especially the first six to 12 months, because you're not there and the property management company knows that you're not there. So just make sure that you're laying eyes on them. Just pop in, let them know that you're willing to fly out there, drive out there and lay eyes on the property quite frequently and give them the criticism or the feedback that they need in, to, in mm -hmm. order to, to be successful. Yeah, and, and that's one of the things that um, a lot of the people out there don't consider as part of operators. You're going to have to be on site and in the trenches more often than most people realize. Mm -hmm. Yes, once the property is smooth sailing and everything's stabilized, maybe you can go down to like once a quarter. 
but if you're doing any value add that, that requires exterior and working with contractors and interior and so on, you're going to be on site in the first six to 12 months quite a bit. And uh, like Ben said, if you need to take a two-hour flight and then another two-hour drive, uh, that, need, that becomes a three-day affair. Yes. Right. It's not an in and out the same day. Uh, so, so that's kind of something to really quit. That is really critical to pay attention to. Um, uh, to that account, did you ever had a property that had something going on that you actually had to be there more than like once a month? Yeah, we're, we're usually on site for the first six to 12 months. Cause remember our business plan is really, it's, it's the value add we've got, we've always got at least a million or 2 million going into our properties. So there's a lot of coordination with that. And, and on top of having to manage a general contract, you got to manage the property management company pretty tightly too, because it, it's, there's a lot of things that are in flux. Tenants are pissed off. There's a lot of construction. There's a lot of moving pieces. So you really have to keep them, you know, uh, accountable during that time frame too. So between me and Ferris and then our asset manager, we're on site at least two or three times a month for the first six to 12 months on, on each of our deals, just because we feel like, the more frequently that they see one of us and the more frequently that we're giving them feedback and guidance and keeping them on the right direction, the, the more they keep on their toes. Right. And it's not all, like I said, it's not always going to be, I'm going to give you a heads up that I'm going to be out there. I'm just going to go out there and I don't care if you don't like it or not. And guess what? I'm expecting a regional to come out there too. So, you know, we've had some people push back. Oh, you need to give me a heads up. No, why do I have to give you a heads up? It's my property. Exactly. Right. You know, so, and I'm out here and I expect you to come out here and visit me because we've, we've got issues or I've got questions or I've got something to do. So, you know, ultimately I would say that be prepared that yes, you will have to be out on site. Now the frequency of that, I'll leave that. Uh, that's just our personal preference just because we have a lot of rehab going, but I would say at least once a month and I would vary it up. I would not, sometimes I would tell them that you're coming in. Sometimes I wouldn't. And, uh, you know, keep them on their toes because the, the property management companies also tend to get lazy. And, uh, you know, maybe the property, the trash hasn't been picked up or, you know, there's always blinds that are messed up or something just that they get lazy. You say, hey, that's not the, that's not the, the type of property I want to run. I want or to the other way around, right? They know you're coming. So suddenly things happen yeah. that wouldn't normally happen when you're not there. And I, and, and I still Till today, I have to remind them, guys, don't do anything special just because I'm coming to town, right? I don't want you to go get behind on your work orders or neglect any of our residents just because Joseph is coming to town. That doesn't work this way, right? Yep. So uh, um, that, that's a very good point. And one thing I want to also point out too, Joseph, is there's, there's third parties that can also help shop the property as well. I think on top of on-site visits, which are huge I think you should also incorporate a third party or or maybe uh, either yourself acting as somebody else or somebody that you trust secret shopping the the property as well I mean we have we have a third party that we work with where they're, they're gonna call the properties at least a couple times a month make sure that the leasing agent the on-site manager whoever's answering the phone is hitting these these boxes that they're supposed to be hitting and they get graded and then on top of that, if they fail that or they get and they get bad scores or scores that we feel are subpar, we'll we'll do an on-site shopping of them as well, and we'll use that as feedback to them. It's not to get them into trouble; it's it's always in an, an effort to improve them, right? And then sometimes that leads to people that have to get let go. But you're only going to know that if if you're actually out there doing the due diligence that you need to on these people. So that's just another way of keeping them on their toes. Uh, and, and it really, it's actually fairly inexpensive to, to find. There's, there, you can find these people online. Well, it's just the secret shopping companies. If you're happy with the service, uh, give them a shout out and we'll add that into the show notes as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let me, let me get the exact name. I usually have Neil, who is our asset manager, do that. But they've done a really good job for us. And I'll, 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 I'll send that over so you can have that in the notes as well. Okay, fantastic. Yeah, we'll do that. Uh, anything like pieces of technology and stuff like that, that you can think of that would be great, useful for operators. Uh, feel, please feel free to mention them. The one thing that, that really has helped us because there's, like I said, there's a lot of moving pieces on these is Asana. So Asana is just pretty much a project management, you know, task uh, tool that you can use 
but when you've got, and we've got them per property and sometimes even per property, we've got subtasks and they're there where there's projects per property, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're assigning tasks to people. There's, there's all these moving pieces and that allows you to schedule it, assign it and keep track of it. So I think that, you know, that's also something that we've incorporated that's kept a lot of things off of email and uh, we'll invite our property management company to, to our sauna uh, platform as well. And that we assign tasks to them and say, Hey, you know, where are we at on this? This was due last Friday. You know, it's now Tuesday. It's how, late. How is that working out for you? Eh, it's been a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> some, some adopted better than others. You know, obviously I think it just, some people aren't used to, we're very hands-on. And, uh, you know, so if I, if I need to talk to my on-site manager, I'm not going through the VP to the regional to the on-site manager. I'm just going to pick up the phone. I'm going to call, I'm going to call our on-site manager. And some people don't like that. Yeah. And also on the, on the flip side, some people just don't like, you know, us being that hands-on and kind of dictating, you know, or trying to guide how some of this works. But the ones that are, that, that we have had a better partnership with have been open to this. And once again, I'm not going to be onerous about it. I'm not going to dump a thousand tasks on them and, you know, ride them like a schoolmaster. But at the end of the day, if there's something important and we've talked about it on the weekly calls, I'm going to sign a task to it. And, you know, I mean, so it's, so it's no longer going to be like, Hey, what did we talk about on the phone call? It's like, Hey, we talked about these five action items. Now they're tasks and I'm going to expect them to, uh, to be, you know, done within the time frame that we talked about. So that's been, that's been a game changer for us to incorporate that. So I'd always, if, if you get into a, a situation where you've got more than a couple properties, I would look into that for sure. Yeah. Uh, we use Asana for the, um, for the podcast management things, but mm -hmm. uh, we use Trello for yeah. all of our other tasks. And like I said, uh, we try to onboard uh, our property management. Some adopted better than others. Uh, some still need an email with, with statuses. So, so we try to work as far as we can. But the good thing about those tools is even if the person that have a task assigned to them is not logging in, at least you have a visibility of this task belongs to that person and it's due. So whichever way they track it, at least you have access and control yeah. over how to track it. So yeah, I love absolutely. that. Uh, yeah, Trillo, Trillo is just as good. We've used, we've used that too. So, you know, I mean, and it's, it's a similar type platform. Yep. So, you know, yeah, I would, yeah, I would encourage that the operators go out and at least look into that, you know? Yeah. Especially as you start scaling, right? When you have one property, it's a lot easier to remember and handle and control. Mm -hmm. But once there's more and more and more things going on, you'll find that you have the same contractor working on three different properties on, on different items and just tracking who's doing what, when, and where is getting more challenging with scale. So yep. once you start scaling, I would highly recommend to find a good systemizing tool for you. Yeah, absolutely. Whichever it is. Yeah. Um, okay. So mm -hmm. you mentioned earlier that all of your properties are of heavy value at at least one or $2 million in rehab. Um, mm -hmm. Give us your favorite two, three things to that you guys do that help increase income. That is not the standard raise rent, right? Um, Come on, just, man. That's the easy one. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. So, let's assume you got one. Give us two, three more. So to, to increase, well, okay. So is it to increase income, income collection? I mean, so there's, there's different ways that you can skin a cat, right? So the easy way is let's increase rents, right? Uh, a lot of these deals, what a lot of people kind of gloss over, over or don't underwrite properly is just the amount of delinquency and bad debt that you might have on a property. So I think just reaching out and being good at collecting the rent that you're billing out will by default increase your income on a monthly basis because especially the first year, you're probably going to be cycling through a bad tenant base and you're gonna have some skips and some evictions and some people that are gonna stiff you for rent. So the easier, the quicker that you get a handle on that, the better that your, your collections are going to keep, you're going to keep going. Right. You know, so you have to, that's, that's one thing that we've noticed is, you know, just collect the rent that you're billing is huge because a lot of people just write it off and you're like, okay, how can we be better at this? So that's one thing, right. You know, not, not being too heavy handed on the renewals too, for the first six to 12 months, 
because you want to make sure you keep that back door closed. You don't want a bunch of people running on you. You know, especially when, when you're going through a value add, it's very disruptive to the property. You know, and then you, then you can kind of go over to, you know, the other income side. So what do we do? I mean, obviously, if you're going from a mom and pop operator or somebody that's a little loosey-goosey to more of a, a rigid kind of either in-house or third-party property management, the fees are just going to go up because there's just going to be more fees involved and they're going to be more rigid about collecting those fees. Mm -hmm. So, you know, obviously that's just regular stuff, right? You know, admin fees, late fees, whatever it might be. You know, the other thing that people need to obviously look at is, you know, is, is utility billbacks, is rubs something that, that, that submarket is doing? If they are, I'd look into, does this property, can this property support it? Between what you're going to do on your rents, plus billing back whatever amount, 30, 40, $50 for utilities, can that property and can that submarket support that? And if it can, I would definitely do that. Because, and, and then also incorporating, a lot of people think it's just like a water and electricity thing, pests as well, right? You know, yeah. look into billing back pest control. I mean, you're paying for it. People don't want roaches and other stuff in their property. And, and so, you know, it's just a nuisance, right? Five, $10, maybe tops a month. You say, here's your pest control fee, right? And I've lived in, in, in apartments too. I mean, that's just how the, the class A stuff, B stuff, that's how they, they do it all the time. Yeah. So why not incorporate that in the class C, you know, as long as you can support it in the, in the submarket, I'd say bill it back because that's going to be an expense that you're going to have to incur anyway. So well, I like how you keep repeating the, the phrase, if the market can support that. And, and I just want to draw that one little nugget uh, out because it's super important, right? Uh, being able to, uh, uh, being able to get in theory and then being able to get uh, a certain fee in actual is a huge difference, right? Every broker will tell you, oh yeah, you, the owner is not implementing rubs. So you have a potential of increasing income doing rubs, but hey, there is newsflash. If everybody in the neighborhood is uh, doing all bills paid, you cannot charge back for utilities. It's that simple. Yeah, And, and sure. in reality, um, it always balances. Even if you have a mixed market where some people do rubs and some people don't, it balances out. Uh, because if I can pay $600 with all bills paid or I can pay 550 rent, but I'll get $50 in utility bills, it balances out. There's no way that the other property can charge 600 and apply a $50 utility bills all things being equal, right? We're not talking right. upgraded versus not upgraded. I mean, we're talking for everything else being equal. So super critical, very, very uh, good comment here by, by Ben is always make sure that your sub-market can support it, that the, the property across the street, the properties around the corner are doing the same thing that you want to do because otherwise you're going to get a disadvantage in your leasing. Yep. That's true. Yeah. I mean, it, it will fail. You'll, you'll get pushback. I mean, that's what I love about this market is that, you know, you'll get feedback very, very quickly. If you're, if you're, if you're overpriced, <laughs> yeah, people will just tell you. They so, with their you know, but before you even get down that right, right. You, you need to, that's what I love about the, this, this business too. Right. I mean, it's, it's a very stupid business and in, in the sense that I can go down the street and I can shop all my competition. I just copy what they're doing. You know, now I'm going to say that I can do it better and my property is going to look better, but ultimately if they're billing back water and I'm not billing back water, guess what? I'm billing back water, you yep. know, because everybody else is doing it in that sub market. And if that person wants to rent in that sub market, then it just makes sense. You're just leaving money on the table if you don't do it. So that's, that's, those are some ways that you can kind of increase that, that top line number, you know, beyond rents, you know, and increasing rents, which was always the easiest part. And I, and I'd also discourage people from having too aggressive of uh, an expectation in year one of rent pushes. Now, obviously we always perform it, but we always back it out. It's, it's really almost a balance because we're backing it out by underwriting a lot more and, and loss to lease and just economic, you know, vacancy across the board. Yeah. So, you know, we might increase our GPR or gross potential rents, but we're going to, we're going to, we're going to increase the other stuff too to offset that, you know, and then you're hoping within 12 to 18 months, you've been able to kind of, you know, uh, cycle through a tenant yeah. based and, and now you're stabilizing that now you're back to where you should be. 
So, you know, that, that would be, those would be my advice on the top line stuff. Awesome. Now yeah. let's flip the coin and talk about mm -hmm. expenses, right? What is two, three things that you like to do uh, to reduce expenses for the property? And it's always easier to drive the top line than it is to, to, to uh, decrease expenses. I think uh, that's another thing that the brokers like to, oh, you can do this or you can do that. It's, that's easier said than done in, in, in my experience. I think some of the, the more low-hanging fruit stuff would probably be around utilities. Now you have, there's an investment there, right? There's, this is not just going to be like, oh, I'm a better operator. So therefore I'm going to be able to get utilities down. You're going to have to incorporate LEDs, low flow toilets, low flow air, you know, aerators, all of these different things that will just by default decrease the, the usage mm -hmm. of the utilities. So therefore they'll decrease what you're spending on utilities. So that's one thing that you can do, you know, and then there's other major things, right? Like maybe you have a, an HVAC you know, preventative maintenance program, or you, or you build in, you know, replacing the, the HVACs uh, systems at your property, because those things suck a ton of juice. And if you look at all these older properties, some of these things are older than 20, 30, 40 years old, they're still cranking. But you could just imagine the amount of juice yeah. that these things are humming on. So take a look at that when you're building out your CapEx budget, because those things are a major, major use user of electricity. Um, some of the other things too is, is, are they fat on payroll? Some folks just, just run it real lazy and they'll just throw a bunch of people at it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I mean, we, we brought a property in, in San Antonio that's seven employees. They didn't need seven employees. They needed six. And yeah. so, you know, there's that you just lost 30, 40, 50 grand in, in expenses right there just by having one less person. And if we weren't trying to poor boy it. It was, you know, it, it just ultimately they were just being lazy. And so they threw another, uh, another leasing agent at it because, I think ultimately they're trying to they're trying to keep the occupancy up while they sold it, and yeah. so we automatically saw that as a as an opportunity to kind of cut expenses. And then the third thing being would be insurance, right? You know, not all insurance is created equal. Not all insurance brokers are created equal, That's and true. so you know, look to see you know. And I'm not saying once again to poor boy insurance. That's we've had insurance claims. They're worth it to have good insurance and have a good insurance broker on it. But sometimes, and I'll, I'll give two, there's a caveat to this. Sometimes you can get insurance down. So maybe for whatever reason they're paying, you know, their brother's cousin's sister, you know, who has an insurance company and they're, they're just paying a premium. On the flip side of that, we've bought deals from people that have a lot larger portfolio than us. Yeah. And by default, because they have more units, their insurance rates are going to be better. Right. Because the insurance company, you can kind of blend it into almost a portfolio policy. Mm -hmm. um, and then by default, they get better rates than us. So people are like, you know, oh, well, they're, you know, 100 grand in insurance. So I can run it at 100 grand in insurance. Well, the fact is, you're buying it from somebody that has a billion dollar portfolio and your insurance is not going to be 100 grand. It's yeah. probably going to be 130, 140, 150 grand, if not higher. So always validate those numbers with an insurance. So it can go both ways too, right? Yeah. So, but insurance is another thing that you can kind of look at, you know, I, I think, um, you know, but on the flip side, there's other things that can increase in expenses too. So here in Texas, as you know, there's uh, there's always taxes that we got to fight. Oh yeah. Protest every year. So I will work diligently to get expenses down, but most of the time they're, they're offset by the increase in taxes, even, even after I protest them. Well, that's why it's critical that we fight for every dollar. That's on true. The that's true. Right? right. And I always, I'm, I always have a little grin on my face when I win some of those protests, but I don't win them all. And sometimes even when I win them, it's not as much as I want it off. So, yeah. but, you know, if you look at other states are a little bit easier to peg down at Texas, if people don't know some of your listeners, it's just, you know, uh, we, it, property taxes is a big money grab and uh, we have to be just as citizens of Texas, we have to fight them every single year because some of the appraisal districts will be very aggressive in increasing the values based on the new purchase prices. And that's just so they can increase their tax base. So, yep. you know, we just have to, that's something you have to be aware of too. So, yeah. you know, so Always those would be some of the things that tax. I would do. You know, so you, you, people are going to say, oh, I can get R&M down. I can get general, I can get, you know, an admin down. I can get all this stuff down. The likelihood that you can, I could get marketing down. Maybe, maybe you can, maybe you can't. I, would, I wouldn't bank. If your whole entire business 
plan is, is I'm going to get, you know, my expenses down 50, hundred grand a year to make my deal work. I say, you probably don't have a deal. There has to be more than, more than that because I've, I've just seen too many people where they, they bank on that, that, that theory and it just doesn't work out for them. Well, yeah, we're kind of going into the underwriting side of things, right? Uh, but I always tell people that when you look, when you do your underwriting and you look at the owner's PNL, that's the owner's PNL. That's yeah. not your PNL. Then most yeah. likely it will never be your PNL, yeah. right? And, and the simple examples are, it's kind of like if the, the owner's brother-in-law is the pest control guy and he gets it for cost, you're going to have to pay retail. And then if yep. he hired his sister to manage a 20 unit property and pays her $100,000 a year, you're not going to pay that. So mm. that's kind of like it can go either way. So it's a good place to search for red flags, but yeah. I wouldn't do my underwriting based on anybody's PL but my own. Yeah, it's, it's, it's another data point that you need to examine and, and, and say, okay, I've, I've reviewed it. And I think that some of that makes sense and some of that I can segue into my own underwriting. But, you know, more often than not from just based, I mean, I've underwrote hundreds of deals at this point. Yeah, I just, they're always just, like I said, you have to take them with a grain of salt. Let's just be yeah. that way. <laughs> so. Oh, and, and, and not everybody out there is honest. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, that's, that's for sure. I've, I've seen some fudged up uh, uh, P&Ls that the, the columns don't add up, the totals yeah. don't add up. We've seen all these. Like this, this NOI number is not, is not adding up, right? And then you'll see a lot of stuff that's dragged below the line that shouldn't be below the line. And, they, they and the other that. way around. Yeah, they're just – and sometimes I've seen P&Ls where they don't even show you anything that's below the line. And yep. I'm like, no, I need to see the below the line stuff because what could end up happening is that they're dragging stuff below that just to make that NOI look better. Yep. And then you're basing your offer off of that. And then you just get, you get crucified, you know, when you take over the property because you didn't realize that they were hiding all of these different expenses that now you're going to have to incur. So that's always a problem. Awesome. Ben, I want to be cautious of your time. Um, just to wrap up with a couple of, of quick questions. Uh, what would be your best advice for a new operator? Somebody that is just getting started, they raised the money or they're close, just closed or about to close their first deal and they're about to start that marathon run called operations. Uh, what would be the best advice? So if they, if they haven't gotten their first deal yet, I just say, just be patient, right? Your first deal can, can make or break your career. You have to, you have to get the right one. Right. You don't want it to be your first deal out of the, out of the gate is the big challenging one because a, it might hurt your reputation moving forward or B it's going to, it's going to, it's going to stress you out so much that you're not going to want to buy your second deal. So just be very patient, be very diligent on your underwriting. We're at the top of the cycle here. You know, uh, there will be a correction at some point. Nobody knows when, but there will be. And you just, you want to be even more diligent with how you underwrite deals. So that would be my suggestion to somebody that's just brand new, look, starting to look. Now, if you just bought your first deal, right? My, my biggest piece of advice is keep on that property management company and make sure that you understand the financials and what you're looking at. Because, you know, as much as we love to say the property management companies are honest and they're diligent with putting their financial reports together, I'm just going to say both of those are not true all the time. Sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. And so you need to know what you're looking at because they can fudge a lot of stuff and, and make the property look better too. So be looking at bank statements, be looking at all the backup to make sure you can tie all that back to the financial reports and keep them honest at the same time. Mm -hmm. So that would be my biggest thing is keep on your property management company and keep on your general contractor as well too, right? Everybody's going to notice your first deal. They're, they're, they're probably going to try to see if they can take advantage of you a little bit or drag things out or just be lazy. So, you know, this is the time where you have to be even more diligent, mm -hmm. you know, just so you can kind of make sure that that first deal really, it doesn't have to be a home run. We're just looking for singles and doubles, right? You know, as long as you get a single or double, you get people their money back, you give them a return, everybody's going to be happy, right? You don't always have to hit a home run, but if you lose people money on your first deal, that's going to be probably your own deal. Yeah, that would be so, the end of the road. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, if we could roll back the time, go meet young Ben, uh, let's say 10, uh, yeah, that was a long time ago, man. Had a lot, had a lot of hair. <laughs> um, and assuming you cannot tell yourself 2009 is the bottom by everything, right? 
Uh, what would you tell yourself? You know, I, I would say, what, what would be the advice that I would give myself? Is that, is that the question? Yep. I, I, you know, I, I think it's kind of a cliche, but I think it's right. You know, start early. I, you know, this was something that I was interested in back in the in, in early, earlier 2000s. And, uh, you know, you just kind of get gun shy. And you're just like, oh, you know, I'm not ready, or I don't have enough money, or I don't have enough experience, blah, blah, blah. Whatever excuse that you can you can come up with, people go through in their minds. It's just the, it's like the seven steps of grieving, right? You know, you're just like, you come up with all these different things as to why you can't do something or why you act a certain way. And I would just say, start early. And I'd also say, you know, develop before you get into making offers and getting too far down the rabbit hole. You know, I've had a lot of success partnering with the right people and putting the right teams together. So I would say, you know, my advice to, to my earlier self would be, because I've also had a, I've also had a bad partnership. So this is where this is going, right? Yeah. You, you have to be very diligent with who you partner with, right? And make sure that those goals are aligned. So I would have said, be a little bit more patient, develop the right team and the right partnership and then go out and execute on something. And uh, so if I was a little bit younger, I would have probably given myself that advice and probably saved myself some of this hair that I've lost. But <laughs> so, you know, but yeah, I mean, it could always be start earlier, make more money, put more money in real estate versus stocks. There's a lot of things that I probably would have told, but that would probably be the biggest, you know, piece of advice that I would have given myself personally. Phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Ben. That it's been such an honor to have you on the show. Uh, where can our guests learn more about you? If they want to reach out to you, uh, what would be the best way to find you? So we've got a website, www.disruptequity.com. And you can find me at Ben at disruptequity.com. You know, we've got, uh, some content on there, you know, and, and we're obviously rolling out some more videos. We've got some stuff that, uh, that we're trying to add some value to some folks too. So, you know, if you ever want to kind of learn a little bit more about it, reach out to me, you know, be happy. I always like to talk shop. So, um, love to, love to have some conversations over the phone as well. Awesome. Thank you so much, yeah. Ben. It's been an honor. Right. And for you, the audience, if you enjoyed the show, if you want to listen to more of our episodes, go to iTunes, Teacher, any one of those that you can download or go to our website, appopr.com. And we also would really appreciate it if you can uh, put a review for us, good, bad, anything, any review would highly appreciate it. We love feedback just as well as we love the, the, the compliments. So thank you everybody and we'll see you soon. Thanks, Joseph. Thank you.